0: This um this one professor he was so amazing i'll never forget him um, and in fact i I visited him when I was uh doing vacation in Spain because he's he ran a Spanish bank and um they recruited him to h b s to teach basically like an accounting class, but he was the CEO of this really big Spanish bank and he did not know much about accounting, so the classes. Whatever the material was, like if there's a case study, but you're really supposed to talk about, like the debits and credits in this case study, he would skip that whole part and just talk about leadership and strategy and the role of ego as a leader and and like you know, it was a really interesting concept that nothing knew the county. But he was just such a phenomenal professor, and I really learned like how human a leader is, how human a leader needs to be, and how like being authentic is really a great leadership trait. And you could just see this in him, like he was such like a famous big corporate person there, but when he was here, he was just so authentic and genuine and vulnerable. And it was really, really inspiring.
1: Hi, my name is Nathan Baumeister, and you're listening to Builder, Banker, Hacker, Chief, a podcast where executives from the world of finance and technology share the story of how they got where they are and the decisions that made them who they are. I'm looking for hidden moments of truth and sacrifice, wisdom and folly, and what it's like to navigate treacherous waters at the helm of a growing company. I wanna do all that so that together we can learn from their journey and use that insight personally and professionally. This is our inaugural episode, and it's my great pleasure to introduce you to Jay Tooley, President of Leader Bank and Chairman of Z-Suite Tech. Now, my job is CEO of Z-Suite Tech, so I've gotten to know Jay very well over the years. Even so, this interview offers a rare window to who he is. So sit back, listen close, and I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. Jay, welcome to Builder, Banker, Hacker Chief. Excited to have you on.
0: Thank you. I'm excited to be here, Nathan.
1: Now, you and I have had the pleasure of knowing each other for quite a while, um, working together in the trenches as we've worked together with Z Suite as well as you know our software and systems at LeaderBank. So I get to cheat a little bit in diving into some of the formative experiences of your life that has helped you to become the leader that you are. As we start off this conversation, let's go back a little bit. I think it would be super interesting to talk about a little bit about your upbringing and kind of how you grew up and what are things that now that you can kind of look back retrospectively from those formative years of growing up that really has given you a baseline and a foundation to become you know, who you are today in the business, in the business world.
0: All right. Um, well, I give you a little background on myself. I mean, I grew up right outside of the Boston area in Belmont. Um, my, my parents were immigrants to the U S from India. Um, they came here in around 1978 and, um, they, they sort of had, my dad sort of had like a, uh, some normal jobs. He was a bank teller. Sort of grew up within a bank, um, got promoted a couple times, and ultimately decided to start his own mortgage company because in the neighborhood he was living in, which was predominantly a Greek neighborhood, um, some of his neighbors needed to buy a house and they and they didn't know English that well and didn't know the process and he helped them, and then they began sending all their friends to him to um, try to help. Them get a loan, and ultimately decided, okay, this could be something, and um, started back then was called Leader Mortgage Company on the side. So that that was the very beginning of a long, long journey. Um, And and, you know, well, I'm sure we'll get into Leader Bank at some point, Um, but that was the beginning of that journey. And when I grew up, you know, we we would talk about um, his his company a lot. I would I was very interested. He would. Uh I kind of learned a little bit about business and finance and lending, just kind of like hearing him talk to folks. Um, I always found it fascinating. And so then when I went to college, I decided to focus um on finance. And um my first job after Georgetown was actually JP Morgan, which was great training ground. I mean, just learned a ton in New York. Um, learned a lot of analytical experiences, but I ultimately wanted to come back to Boston. And, um, and then I ultimately joined my father at LeaderBank in its formative early years.
1: So when you look back at growing up um, where your mom and dad were first-generation immigrants in the U.S., um, started off, I love the fact that he started as a bank teller. That's just, I, I, I love that as part of, part of his story. But as you saw them going from jobs to wanting to start a business based off of this inkling of an idea that they could help, I know a lot of children that grew up in that environment were like, oh, I never want to be an entrepreneur (laughs) because I saw the struggle that it is and how hard it is. Um, And it seems like it didn't deter you. Uh, but rather inspired you to want to be in kind of that same general industry to be able to help people on the financial side. why do you think that is
0: i you know it it is a fair question obviously um I saw times when he was really stressed. I saw times when he was working on weekends and stuff like that, but I also saw him just have a, like a lot of pride in what he did, so even though he was working hard, he was really happy and he um it felt he had like a lot of empowerment, obviously, because of his own company. Um, and the other thing that was really interesting in early age I saw is he had these kind of like really strong relationships um, and, and just really was able to connect with people, clients or associates or whatever it was. And then these relationships would like evolve into something much greater when you fast forward like 10 or 15 or 20 years. Um, and I find that like probably the real interesting thing about his journey, um, which I think crafted my own view of how to think about relationships and relationship building and, um, things like that. So I think that that was some of the inspiration, um, I would say.
1: Yeah. And so when you went to school, you knew you wanted to be in the financial industry. Uh, you went to, to DC, uh, any, any specific, driver of wanting to go to DC or or anything that kind of helps shape you and in, in, in your undergrad experiences there?
0: I, I wanted to be close enough that I could it would be a short flight, but far enough that you needed to take a flight. So DC was a great spot. I wanted a big city. I love that it had a very international feel to it. I love Georgetown. I wanted a um school with an undergraduate business program, which Georgetown had. Um and when I went there, I just, I just, I don't know. I just like really loved the, the whole vibe, you know, sometimes you just gotta like feel these things out. So um, I had an amazing experience at Georgetown.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm curious as you kind of flex those muscles of independence, of moving away from your family, uh, moving away from your hometown and finding yourself in this environment. Oh, did you flex your muscles of that relationship building and kind of following that template that was kind of put forward of what you found is something unique that your dad was able to do, and I'm curious as now you've been able to fast forward from that time period so many years in the future. If you've seen some of the some of the seeds you planted then to to grow,
0: totally. I got a um, postcard just recently from my sophomore year professor who um, taught us a finance class, and you know we're still in touch. Um, However many decades later, um, my early uh college roommates and and some of my really close friends were still very much in touch. I mean I just love when a relationship can kind of grow with the test of time and um, just have like long strong bonds with people that, that that's one of the the most uh the things I like the most so definitely I think um and, and I don't think any of this was on purpose it's just it's just kind of like felt normal to me, you know, to sort of hang on to a relationship for a long time and um, stay in touch.
1: So, so Jay, you, you were able to go to Georgetown and you went and worked in one of the largest banks in in, in the United States and in the world. And through that process, as you mentioned, you had some great experiences, but in the end you decided to go back home and work at a De Novo Community Bank, uh, which a lot of people would think of that as kind of the different end of the spectrum. Pardon my fintech lingo here. Most banks that you see today have long histories, some stretching back 100 years or more. A De Novo Bank is simply a bank that is starting from scratch. And so when you hear that Jay left a job at J.P. Morgan to join a bank that had no history, no reputation to fall back on, it's a big deal. Jay and his father have taken Leader Bank from zero to $4 billion in assets in a very short period. They're swimming against the current and winning. This is a glimpse into what makes Jay remarkable as a banker. So I'm curious, what was the decision point? Do you, do you remember the moment kind of when you made that decision to, 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 to leave what many people would consider kind of the, the elite thing to do? to then go to what a lot of people would think is, oh, a community bank?
0: Right, yeah, great question. There's actually a a small intermediate step. I came back to Boston, I worked for an investment bank, a small boutique investment bank, for about a year and a half. And the decision was easier than you think because it was a great experience, but I was working like really crazy hours, um, like 80, 90 hours a week, and I was just burnt out. And so what happened was we, my dad and I just had like a conversation at the dinner table and I was exhausted. I was underslept. I was like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And he was sort of talking about how he needs help. Um, he needs help to grow the bank. It was a small, like two branch bank back then. And he, his point was, you know, just come and try it. And if it works great and if it doesn't, you can always find another job. So that was it. That was, that was the decision. There wasn't like a whole lot more... Thinking about it, than that, um, sure, I did wonder, like, hey, doesn't sound as cool to work for like a small community bank, no one's heard of, versus more like a sexy kind of like either investment banking or a big brand name bank, you know, that goes through your head a little bit. But as a kid, I always kind of thought like maybe one day we'll work together. So I felt like, okay, maybe this is that moment. Yeah. So
1: you kind of had that inkling even from way back in yeah. childhood that it might happen. The idea of multiple generations working together to grow a bank um, is a common story. It's a common theme. Um, and even beyond that, just multiple generations working to build businesses together is oftentimes a common theme as well. Oftentimes it doesn't end great. <laughs> so obviously, we can fast forward, we can see all the success that Leader Bank has had but i wonder what was going through your head maybe what some of the things that 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 you learned or a story uh, or experience that happened is you and your dad kind of had to transform your relationship from father and son to colleagues and coworkers
0: yes it was not it it, it was a journey i'd say the first 6 months was a little bit like choppy i want not say choppy but it it took a it took getting used to um I wasn't used to his style. He wasn't used to my style. Um, And then we had the whole dynamic of like, how do we convert from colleagues to like father and son in a family setting without like boring everyone else about work talk? So we had like some of that stuff to work through. Ultimately though, um, I think we got in a really good rhythm. We still have a great rhythm today and, and more or less it's there's just a couple things. No one business decision is so important that if the other person feels so strongly about it that you can't try it and then just be honest quickly if it worked or not. And um, so that's the attitude we took. If one of us feels so strongly about something, well, let's try it. And um, if it works, awesome. If it doesn't, fine, like roll it back and try something else. And then I think the other thing was when we go home, like with others like listen just not talk about work which was kind of nice because it created it created a separation and we sort of did that cuz we you know we'd we bore other people if we did that right so it was it was good there were some barriers um, i think on the first part what what's an interesting byproduct of the let's try it concept to to appease each other basically put family first over the business was it kind of made us started the beginning seeds of a culture of like it's okay to experiment with things, mm. um, because again, like it, it was more of a like why not, than uh, why do we want to do that, and, um, and and that that evolved to a lot of cool experiments, I guess, over the years. Yeah. Do
1: any any of those experiments kind of come to mind, especially kind of in the early years when you were able to kind of put that dynamic to practice?
0: We, we, um, this was like 2012. Back then, there was no word for fintech, so it was like a tech company. And they had this idea called uh impulse save, where, um, rather than impulse buy, say you want to buy something but you don't, what you would have spent that's now a savings, you put it in your your phone, or or you or actually back then you had to do it online. You know, I saved 30 bucks because I didn't go out to dinner or whatever. And it would transfer that from your checking account to your, to your savings account. And then there were like goals attached to it and like all this stuff. So I was like really pushing to try this. And I think um, everyone else was kind of looking at me like, what's the point of this? You know, and even if it like, how is this adding value? Is it going to work? All this stuff. So what's interesting about it is, is it was actually a lot of work to like get this up. Because back then, there, again, there were no fintechs. There was no like partnerships. There was, there, there was no like, this is really new territory. Um, so we had to figure out all these controls and like all, all this way to work with them and give them access and policies and yada, yada, yada. And we do it for like three months, six months. And we realized like the accounts are like really small. It wasn't adding a lot. It was actually costing us a lot of money. And we're not sure like this would be a viable like business model or product. So we killed it. So that was an experiment we tried and killed. However, the learnings of that was how the whole ACH system worked. And that ACH understanding, the underpinnings of it, actually later led to some of the things we did with ZRent. I don't know if we would have got there without that learning. So that's one example of this: let's try it and it didn't work. Building a
1: company is all about having a vision, turning it into a plan and wrestling through all the ways that plane can go awry. As a builder, Jay understands what it means to build something, knock it down, and rebuild something better in its place. The road is winding and full of potholes and blockades. That's what makes the story worth telling. Yeah, every path you walk down isn't going to get you to a success. However, all the learnings that you had along that path, you're going to be able to apply to future experiences. I love that. Exactly. I love yeah. that. During this time period, as you were working at Leader Bank, I know you've also made the decision to work on your MBA uh, at Harvard. And so I'm curious, as you were working full time, building a bank alongside your father, what was it that drove you to want to go back to business school and get your master's?
0: You know, I wish I had like a really good reason. I think... I think when, you know, you work in the family business, you have a little bit of like a chip on your shoulder that the job was given to you. And so, um, to kind of go out and get some third party validation was, was a piece of it, you know, like, okay. Um, so that, that was, that was a piece of it. I think, I think the second part was I felt at that point in our, company history we didn't have a clear strategy we were sort of reactive to any opportunity that came past our desk and so it it every single thing required this big discussion like should we do it should we not and so i felt like i would benefit from really trying to figure out like how does strategy work like what what does even that mean um so i think you know i think those were the two things and 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 of course, like, I felt like, okay, if I get in great, you know, I mean, most people would, and, and so I got lucky, got in and, um, and, but then I really focused on the strategy piece and I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. Did you, did you find that you had a lot of application of education? Like you'd walk in from the classroom, you'd walk to the bank and you'd find that there's immediate application of the things that you were learning. And if so, I'd love to hear an example of that.
0: Totally. I was like bursting with ideas all the time to the point that I was driving the team crazy who was still at the (laughs) bank because I had all these ideas, but we didn't have people like implement them. And I couldn't implement them because I was kind of still in school. And so um, I actually remember writing this long document um, because at that time we were like two or three hundred million assets. and, And the document was how we get to a billion in assets. And it was like this 10 page thing and I kept it. Um, the first one was, um, cost accounting as boring as accounting is, and some would say, some would say accounting is awesome, but as, as kind of like, um, fundamental as accounting is, I, I realized that we don't actually know what pieces of our business are actually making money and what's losing money. And if you don't know that, you don't know where to put the resources. You don't know how to, measure and you don't know how um, to incentivize and you don't know you just yeah so first thing we did was this like really big in-depth um, cost accounting model that we still use today um, 11 years later. I mean it's been modified over the time but and in essence it creates all these tons of P and ls for different aspects of the business. and that gave us a lot of the information we needed to make the right management decisions. Um, so yeah, that, that that's one example. Yeah,
1: no, I love that. Uh, it's funny I've told multiple people that from a biz, like a business application perspective, as an entrepreneur, cost accounting hands down has been the most helpful class I've ever taken. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm glad that we share that particular thought process. It's not a very common one though.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: As you think back about the professors and educators uh, that you had access to. Um, at Harvard, at Georgetown, can you think of any that created some specific inspiration? More specifically, about the type of leader that you've become, and the, or the type of leader that you wanted to be.
0: There was um, this one professor. He was so amazing. I'll never forget him. Um, and in fact, I, I visited him when i was uh doing vacation in spain because he's he ran a spanish bank and um, they recruited him to hbs to teach basically like an accounting class but he was the ceo of this really big spanish bank and he did not know much about accounting so the classes whatever the material was like there's a case study but you're really supposed to talk about like the debits and credits in this case study he would skip that whole part and just talk about leadership and strategy and the role of ego as a leader. And, and like, you know, it was a really interesting concept that had nothing to do with the county, but he was just such a phenomenal professor. And I really learned like how human a leader is, how human a leader needs to be and how like being authentic is really a great leadership trait. And you could just see this in him. Like he was, Such like a famous big corporate person there, but when he was here, he was just so authentic and genuine and vulnerable, and it was really really inspiring. Because usually like at that point in time, like I wouldn't associate that with a leader. You would think strong and like big and like um, knew all the answers, knew all the answers, and he was just so honest. He's like, I'm supposed to teach this class on like this specific. I have no idea like how to do that. So we're just not going to. We're going to talk about like the leadership concepts. You know, it's, re- it's really interesting. There were two other professors I didn't have, but um, I got the chance to like see them in a broader setting um, in, in, in some like large sessions. And one was Frances Fry, who I think is just like an amazing um, professor in operations management. And her, her the main theme that got stuck in my head was in order to be really good at something, as an organization, you have to be really bad at something, and you have to be okay with what you're bad and deliberate about it. That that's like blew my mind. You know, that's not like wasn't an obvious thing, and and um, I still think about that today. Like, what are we going to be bad at so that we can be good at other things? And then you know, I think Clay Christensen. I wanted to be in his class. I couldn't get in his class, but I heard him a bunch talk. And the the one thing that stuck with me is when you're starting a new venture an existing organization, how you really need to like separate it in a way and give it its own leash so that it can form and, um, create its own path and priorities without being gobbled up by the bigger organization and its restrictions, um, which I thought was a really interesting concept.
1: Yeah. And I could definitely see how that has, um, manifested itself in, uh, in your career as you continued going down that path. Um, so as you're talking about this idea of to be good at some things, you have to choose to be bad at some things. I'm curious, uh, and also talking about humility and openness and vulnerability. So what are some of the things <laughs> that perhaps leader has chosen to be
0: bad at that's a, that's a good question. That wasn't on the script, Nathan, but but that's okay. <laughs> no, great question. Okay, I think a couple things. Um, one is, I would say, the the menu of products. So we don't do student loans. We don't do auto loans. We don't do credit cards. We don't do wealth management. So we do a few things. We try to do them well. But what that means is we have to not do a lot of stuff. And we have to tell our clients, like when they ask, like, we don't do that. And there are I think we're unique in a way, because a lot of banks will do all of those things. So we've we've had to sort of really pare down um, the offerings. I think another thing that um, we've historically been bad at, though we're a little bit better now, but we're still generally speaking not great at is marketing. we we always sort of took the trade-off of giving up marketing um savvy for more of a focus on product savvy you know so um and and our marketing spend was always pretty small we didn't really do a lot of branding we didn't really do all that but we we did spend a lot more of that energy in trying to build unique products yeah
1: thank you for sharing that Uh, i think that's great also uh i'll never forget I was in the car with you. We were driving to lunch. And I remember someone called you up super excited about a a loan that they needed and started asking some questions. And it sounded like a big opportunity to me. And I was like, oh, man, this is awesome. And it's cool that I get to listen to this. And I'll never forget because you said at the end of the conversation, you know, that sounds like you are in great need. And here are the banks that you should call who focus on those particular needs. Cause I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't be the best one for you. And right. I remember sitting there being a little shocked. I was like, did that just happen? Did he say that no to business and refer to what people would consider competitors? Uh, but you knew that that wasn't something that you were focused on and that you were going to be the best. and You did the right thing by your customer. And I'm sure by your, fr- you know, your friend, because yep. of that relationship. Yep. cool to see that in action
0: yeah i think I think that was one of the things I did pick up in um school was you know strategy is actually knowing what you don't do. and so um, you know try try to i try to remember that now, but you know, of course, you always get sort of like sidetracked in all these interesting projects you want to do, right?
1: yeah, well, just because we know certain things doesn't mean we're perfect at following them all the time. yeah right? exactly <laughs> as you look at this amazing growth story that is leader bank. And I think right alongside that growth story is your personal story of amazing growth as a leader. And you kind of can think about it retrospectively. Are there any moments that you can point back to as being specifically formative of teaching you what type of leader that you want to be?
0: So these are these are experiences in my journey at Leader Bank that taught me what kind of leader I want to be.
1: Yeah, just formative experiences yeah. that you can point back that you could say, "Hey, this this was an inflection point." Yeah,
0: yeah. A lot of lessons were learned um, in between the years 2010 to like 2013. The Great Financial Crisis. I mean, that was like an MBA, a PhD, like whatever in like these couple of years. So one interesting thing was I thought that, you know, as a manager, leader, boss, whatever, like you say things and then people do it, you know, like I just thought that like, that's kind of how it's supposed to work. And we were in the midst of, recruiting like all this great talent really only because a lot of banks were going under. And so like this, these, this great talent didn't have a home. And we were there and I quickly realized they did not care about the hierarchy. They're like, if I wanted them, the hierarchy had to be like upended. And, and I kind of, I basically like worked for them in a way, you know, like I'm, I'm there to serve them and help them because they're such unique talent and that really opened my eyes. And then I went to business school and I really saw this concept in like so many different lenses. And it obviously makes a lot of sense. Um, but, but yes, I still think about that today. Like, you know, how does the pyramid work is, is the leader at the top and everyone else at the bottom or is it inverse and the leaders at the, at the bottom and everyone's at the top. Right. Um, Another one was this whole concept of like, um, what is a true risk of an opportunity? Like, is it actually risky or is it just different? And so looking at the odds of the low versus the odds of the success. So in other words, like if we're going to try something and on the downside, it's like it just doesn't work and can shut it down and, you know, whatever. But the upside is like something potentially really great. That's like a great opportunity to do because um, you know, it has unfair odds on the high side. And so you, know, thinking about this in lots of different lenses, whether it's a new project, whether it's a team member, whether it's a new location, whether it's a new business, um, it's kind of like value-oriented. It's kind of like value-oriented investing in a way, you know, where the odds are in your favor. There was a lot of that during the the early financial crisis, and um, I, re- I remember, you know, I re- I remember talking to someone where it's like, wait, is this really risky, or is this just, am I afraid, or is it is it just different? When you peel back that onion, you're like, there's not a lot of risk here, so there's really no reason not to try it. And then the last thing I'll say is like, I think one thing I've learned over the last decade is this idea of like longevity and this kind of goes back to the relationship conversation we had but the ability to have like a a organization that is there for the long term that can grow and the learnings can compound and the people there can grow as leaders and their learnings can compound and they don't have to have fear that the parent the corporate parent's going to like disappear or like be really um you know, like pull the rug under them in this terms of strategy. Just going to be like stable. It's a really unique thing. It's a special thing, I think. And it's and it's um, I've I've learned that like that could be a competitive advantage.
1: I can't stress enough what a monumental undertaking it was for Leader Bank to develop a product in house, release it to the marketplace, and eventually spin it out as a separate company. Lots of startups spend all their resources trying to reach product market fit. LeaderBank did it as a skunk works project and has been wildly successful. That's what it means to be a hacker, taking pieces and creating something that works in a way no one saw coming. Yeah, well, that's fa- fascinating. Um, and as, as I look at LeaderBank and some of the things that you've done, you've had success in some initiatives that I really haven't seen many other banks be able to do. Has to do with innovation and technology and doing some of that actually in-house versus licensing everything that you're doing. Um, you know, for those that are listening that don't know kind of where the Z-Suite technology story comes together with the leaderbank story, we actually spun out from Leaderbank in 2019. But the predecessor to that was a lot of in-house product development that you've done. And I would I would have to guess that as you thought of that internal product development, which you touched on a little bit on your impulse of savings product, but was that an example of where you looked at the risk and was like, well, if we tried it, what's the worst that could happen? And kind of take me through some of the thought process to actually do something where most banks have never tried it and those that have tried it failed.
0: Yes, it was, it was that concept of... Um like Z rent was the first sort of like project we tried here. Right. And of course, like we were very naive. We we didn't know like what all would be involved. Right. If I, if I knew everything I knew now, like there's no way we would have tried that back then. But, um, the initial, the initial like prototype to kind of try it to see if, a, if customers would take to it was extremely cheap. And, um, it was, there was a lot of manual processes, but to get the learning of if if this could work or not was pretty cheap. So that, that when you look at that, the odds of it failing, well, it's just the cost to get this prototype. That's not a lot of money. But the odds of if this worked, okay, that could be huge. So like, yeah, that was an example. Like, all right, let's just, let's try. Let's just give it a shot and and see what happens. Yeah.
1: And then the result was uh, a success, right? I mean, in the end, you were able to have a lot of success with that product, which for anyone that's not familiar with it, Z ZRent's a product that helps to automate rent collection for landlords and property managers. Went on to develop other product in-house, Z Deposit, which brought, to, I think, this interesting crossroads that I think a lot of people could probably relate to, where... You have a bunch of success building these capabilities, building a team, building some services. And then all of a sudden you made a decision to like, let it go and pull it out of your organization. And that idea, no matter what it is, is something that I think a lot of people would have difficulty with and probably wouldn't even contemplate. So I'm curious if you can share a little bit of that experience and journey. And how you got to that point? Why you got to that point?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a good question. I mean, I think there 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 are two parts to it. One is the intellectual understanding of it, and the other is the emotional, right? And I think on the on just the analytical side, like we were seeing that there was interest from other financial institutions, and we were seeing that us owning it in the bank. Was a hindrance to other financial institutions adopting it. We were also seeing that we didn't have all of the use cases. Like, this product wouldn't evolve fast enough if it was just us driving the product development. The ability to bring a lot of financial institutions into it as clients would make this a much more robust platform. So, we kind of knew, like, Either this is going to stay small, or if there's a chance of it going big, we got to let it go. On the flip side, emotionally, it was like, how could we let this go? This was like our baby. We started this thing from nothing. We put so much blood, sweat, and tears into it. Um, to sort of let it go, it felt like giving away your child, you know? And um, that, was the, that was the emotional part of it That was that was – Harder, but I think, um, well, there there was a journey to get over that, I guess. Um, But you sort of take one baby step at a time, and and um, ultimately that was just a fear. I mean, you know that 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 was just some sort of like fear, and I'm so glad we we did spin it out. I mean, I think it's it's better for everyone. And there's and there's uh, you all are off to a really interesting journey now that couldn't have happened if we're still part of Leader Bank
1: yeah thank you for sharing that. as As you went through this this path and this journey that hadn't been walked by many people and was difficult, did you have help along the way? Was there anyone that you kind of brought along to 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 be able to work through those hard questions and 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 hard decisions and working through some of both the business side and analytical side, but also some of that personal side?
0: During that process, for me, it was particularly hard. Um, and I will say the reason why was I was very comfortable at that time. You know, bank was doing good. We had sort of like in-house product development team that created a product no one else had. Leader was getting a lot of press for it. Like life was kind of good. And I was very worried about trying to like really put my – put this product like out there and if it failed then I'd be like in a worse off position and 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 honestly it was more about like would I feel shame to my other like peers kind of you know there were two things that really helped um one was this YouTube video by uh Denzel Washington it's actually the University of Pennsylvania commencement speech and he talks about um you know the the ghosts of the dreams that you never you you never tried kind of haunting you when when it's your final days another one's Tom Shen Tom Shen's on our board and Tom Shen is a uh you know fintech veteran and I flew out to Calabasas California we had had a couple conversations I flew out there and he just gave me like 2 or 3 hours of his time he was so genuine and um it was just that nudge I needed to like be like, okay, we should do this.
1: Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for uh, walking through that story. Now, as we changed lenses a little bit in the conversation, we focused on education. We focused on your upbringing. We focused on your professional experiences at LeaderBank, as well as some of the other places that you worked. As we switch gears and think about how has your personal life, your personal interests, your family, uh, whatever it might be, how has that shaped who you are as a leader in the business world, especially in context, I think there's a lot of people that say things like, oh, it's not personal, it's just business. I've always thought that that's uh, that's incorrect. We are who we are. <laughs> um, and Though there might be different norms of acting in different situations, you know we still are the same person. So I'm curious how those things um, have have shaped who you are as a leader, and if, as and as you've grown up, has there been shifts based off of things that you've been doing personally?
0: Um, yeah, definitely. I think um, when I grew up as a kid, I. I felt like I lived a double life a little bit because, um, at home, you know, uh, my parents were immigrants. I was sort of first generation. And so, um, I didn't know like the pop culture, the music, I didn't know like the TV shows. I didn't know the sayings. I didn't know the fashion, none of that. And so when I went to school, which this particular school I went to really didn't have like much diversity at all, um, I really felt out of place. And so I felt like during, um, middle school, and high school, kind of like lived a double life. It was very uncomfortable in a way. Cause I, I just, I felt like I couldn't really be the me, the real me, but I had a sort of like safe face at school anyways, like it, it made me uncomfortable. And so when I went to college, all that went away because it's very diverse and, and like there's so many people with so many different interests. And I finally felt what it was what it was like just to be myself. And so I think the lesson I got from that was like a dislike a situation where I can't be authentic, something that like pushes me to like fake it makes me really uncomfortable. I try to like stay away from that. Um, I want to be in a situation. I want to be with people who are going to be real, who are going to be their true selves. Um, I don't like to do things just for the sake of doing them or a check the box. It's like if we're gonna do it, let's do it because like it makes sense. Um, so I think I think that that piece of it had a had a lot for me. I think obviously, you know, like children, you learn a lot from children. Um I don't need to tell you, you you have <laughs> way more children than I do. But um you know one thing I got from that when when I became a dad was I really have to evolve myself. Um, I have to constantly be in a state of learning. Um, it's not like you, you go to school and then you stop learning and like, there you are, you know, everything you need to, like I have to learn how to be a parent. I have to learn how to teach my kids things. I have to learn how to like take care of myself. I have to learn how to calm my own stress and anxieties and like all those types of things, right? Constant state of learning, So um, I think the kids helped me realize that a little bit. Yeah,
1: I I appreciate that. I think the other thing that um, I've found with having kids, as you mentioned, a a few more than you, um, (laughs) is oftentimes I'm more unguarded Mm. in those moments with my family, which helps me to realize some of my own flaws that I don't like about myself uh, that don't necessarily come out in professional settings because I think when you're in a professional setting, you kind of have all your walls up. Right. You don't necessarily have that on the personal side. So as, as we talk about that idea, as you think through your career, I think we could all agree that we probably get most of our learnings when we make those mistakes. Whether it be with our families or in business, and so I'm curious that there's a couple epic fails mm. in your life, you know, mistakes or, or regrets or things that you were wrong about that, as you look back, helped to shape who you were and taught you some really important lessons that you were later able to apply. Um, you've already shared us your uh, impulse savings idea. Um, obviously, that one didn't go to market across all the different uh, financial institutions in the U.S., but Love it if there are some other ones that came to mind.
0: The, the um, biggest like I – think, I think most of the biggest mistakes um, probably all around people and um, um, in terms of not recruiting the right type of person – or not um knowing how to recruit or hire for a specific role and either um bringing in someone who didn't have the skill set or who had the skill set but we weren't ready for them or whatever the case might be but the challenge with those types of mistakes is um it, it can have kind of like a bigger effect than it may seem because Takes a, it takes a while to realize there's a mistake, there's a team under. Um, it, just, it just creates a much bigger issue. And of course, with every mistake comes learning, and so I think over the years, I've really tried to like focus and hone in now, like, okay, on, on how to interview and recruit and hire better, because you know at the end of the day, it really is all about the team.:
1: This distinction is critical. It's about leading people, not just the strategy, bottom line, or competitive landscape. At the end of the day, a chief executive is just one person. He or she can't do it all. They have to enroll others in their vision and see it through to the end. There's no one moment in this conversation that represents who Jay is as a thoughtful, authentic, and capable leader. It's sprinkled throughout.
0: And um, getting the right team in the place, um, a team that's going to be inspired and, and has the right skill set. And so I think those early mistakes helped, kind of refine that process for me personally. Yeah.
1: Any key nuggets that you'd share that you you've learned and that that you've incorporated in your hiring processes to try not to avoid similar mistakes?
0: I used to get I used to have this issue where I would ha- get like starstruck by a person, like you know, like you, you're talking to someone and they have like this great name on their resume and this like big role, and so you wear those glasses. And then everything they're saying is like through those really nice rose colored glasses. And you're just missing all sorts of warning signs. You're missing the fact that their interpretation of the role is not how you've explained it, or you haven't explained it well enough or whatever, whatever the case might be. And so you, you make that higher and it's not good for them and it's not good for you. Like I made that mistake many, many times. Um, I think the, the other big mistake I made is being in a conversation and something will come up a story that's a little inspiring for me and then i imagine what that person could do not what they have done not what they know what they could do and um that's gotten me in trouble before because that that's well it's possible but you know we're Ideally, like the person's done it before. They've shown proof that they could get there. And so you're kind of like missing all that. So those two things have gotten me in trouble before.
1: Yeah. I appreciate both of those. Thank you for sharing them. All right. So oftentimes leaders are asked, you know, what's their favorite leadership book that they've read and what lessons they've learned from it. I want to flip the script a little bit though. I'm curious, do you have any non-business book recommendations?
0: Um I have I ordered a mattress, right? And with that mattress came this book called Why We Sleep. And like I put it on the side for a long time because it was a free book with the mattress, right? It's like, how good could this book be? And then finally I, I picked it up one day and I just like read through the whole thing. I was shocked by like how critical sleep is and how important it is like for so many other things. Like I was just really surprised. It's a great book. So I, I talk about that book sometimes. There's this book. um, I I don't know, is this business or not? I I probably call it more personal growth called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Vishen Lakhiani. I love that book. It's really a lot about like, um, you know, how, how you think about your own dreams and, and your own goals, not really from a business perspective, but more from like a life perspective. And so I found it like, it's really inspiring. Um, there's, and there's another one that I thought was, um, despite the title, really interesting book called the conscious parent. Um, I read that last year during Thanksgiving and there was like a lot of nuggets outside of parenting in it. Um, so yeah, those probably the three. Oh,
1: well, thank you for thank you for sharing those. I definitely was not expecting one of the recommendations to be a free book. Yeah. That came with the mattress. That's awesome, Jay. Thank you so much for spending some time and sharing a lot of your uh, personal stories of uh, what's created you to be you. Um, as we close out in the last uh, couple of seconds here, curious if there's any last words of wisdom or parting stories that you want to leave
0: us with. Um. You know, I think um, we we had a we had a cool story about um, a bike ride and, inv- and an investor. Is that worth talking about, Nathan? Yeah,
1: yeah, I think so. I think it ties really nicely to what you talked about on the relationship side.
0: So um, when we were spinning out Z Suite, um, Nathan and I were out raising money, and. I, I don't think this, well, this definitely wasn't planned, but we went out for uh, a bike ride with, with some folks, you know, it was like late at night through the city. It's, as a group of friends. Um, Let's just
1: paint the picture a little paint bit the picture. more. Go ahead. We, we, we parked and we pulled some rented bikes off a rack where we went from, what city did we start in? Was Somerville, it Somerville? Yeah. Yeah. We started in Somerville and by the way, I'm new in the Boston area. And we're just all biking down the road, passing MIT, passing Harvard, going over the bridge, going into downtown Harvard. It was this completely surreal experience. And Jay's like, oh,
0: yeah, I do this all the time. I'm like, what? This is amazing. It was like your first, you know, couple of weeks in the in the city, right? You were kind of new it to was. the whole thing. It was. <clears throat> and um, during this, we were just having sushi. And we're talking about, like, okay, why Nathan's, like, in Boston, what we're trying to do. Um, he's telling his life story. We just can, you know, there's really, like, no agenda. But um, the funny thing was about the whole thing, like, the next day, um, the folks we were with were, like, yeah, we want to invest. And they, they put in a considerable amount of money. And um, I, think, I think it was an interesting story because it just goes to how much, like, relationships matter at the end of the day. Um, and even in an investment, like who, who you're backing and what they're about and how they lead their life is just as important as the idea. And um, so, yeah, I, I remember that story often.
1: Yeah, that was, it was a special memory. And the big thing that I took from it was, as I mentioned before, I don't think there's a difference between you as a person in the business mm-hmm. world. And you as a, as a person outside the business world, it's all one and the same. And I saw those all come together that night uh, with you, with me, and uh, with uh, the great people that we were able to spend that evening with.
0: Yeah, thanks. All that right. Was, that was fun. Thank you so much, Jay. Cool.
1: Uh, really appreciate your time.
0: All right. Thanks, guys. Now you have a
1: taste of what a wonderful human being Jay Tooley is as well as how he became such an influential business leader. I hope that you've enjoyed this deep dive into Jay's journey. You'll find the book recommendations he made in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Builder, Banker, Hacker, Chief, a podcast produced and distributed by z Technologies Incorporated, all rights reserved. I'm your host, Nathan Baumeister, the CEO and co-founder of Suite Tech. This show was recorded using Zencaster and was written and edited by Zach Garber. If you enjoyed the episode, please take a moment to leave us a review or share the episode. This helps other people to find our show. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify.